uh, it was really important uh, for them understanding that. In fact, Abraham, once when he was feeding some, uh, the men, he said, come in here, I want to give you strength of heart. Um, we need strength of heart today. Many times when we say things like this, I want to memorize this by heart, we're simply memorizing something. It's like Ted, when he was giving that prophetic word today, he said, many of us, you know, the Lord's Prayer and all that, we have things we've memorized by heart. But the hard part is, is getting it from a simple memorization in our mind to actually having it transform us through the inside. And uh, that's what Christ does for us. Um, two things I want us to dive into today is this. Sorry about my cold here a little bit. I got a little bit of a cold this week. You know, you get that in the middle of August, right? Where'd that come from? But uh, God checks our hearts when we avoid it. That's number one. God's going to check your heart. Turn to someone real quick and say, God's going to check your heart. And the other thing, as we dive into that, is God sees our hearts as we don't even see our own hearts. And what that literally means is, when God starts to do something, and He pours His love in us, and He shows us great things that we don't know about, we don't believe them ourselves. So He sees our hearts even as we don't see them. We're filled with self-doubt, we're filled with worry, we're filled with fear, we're filled maybe with depression, or we're filled with weakness, and, uh, and God does a wonderful work. Number one, God checks our hearts and we avoid it. Why don't we turn real quick to Matthew chapter 23, verses 5 through 7. Matthew 23. One of the great parts of the Bible is God says, I'll replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He replaces us. When you come to Christ as a new believer, you're literally given a new life. You're giving a new thing. In fact, I was thinking about that driving here today. Was you know I thought about jail ministry. And you think about on the outward appearance, these men. We I would minister to the men in jail, and they would be in these orange uniforms and their orange flip flops, and they would all be sitting there dealing with things on the inside. But I would know very definitively those men that would maybe come to Bible study. The men that were there just to kind of have a break, and the men who actually there was something going on on the inside of their heart. They were changed. They might have all of these things lined up against them. They did this, and they did this, and they did this. It didn't matter in that moment because they were a new creature created in Christ Jesus. They were free, and they had a heart of stone replaced by a heart of flesh. How many got a heart of flesh here today? Thank the Lord. Amen. God checks our hearts. But when Jesus was on the scene, he started dealing with some religious people that had memorized things. The leaders of the day had it all worked out. The church functioned. They had all of the, um, the symbolism down. They had what to say. Matthew 23, verses 5 through 7. Everything they do is for show, he says. On their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head of the table at banquets and in the seats of honor and in the synagogues and they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your spiritual father. And he goes on, but I wanted to really focus on the fact that here's what they were doing. They were doing what they were doing for a show. And the Lord's going to test us in our hearts uh, turn back real quick. I apologize. We're going to do a couple flipping around. Turn to Second Chron- uh, Corinthians or Second Chronicles thirty-two, thirty-one. 
Actually, you know what? I'm sorry. Go to 2 Corinthians. <coughs> Get to know your Bible today, right? But then I have the wrong verse here. Goodness. I'm sorry, folks. Oh! Well, no, that is the right verse. Go back to 2 Chronicles 32, 31. It's Hezekiah. There it is. Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I started to read it, and I'm like, that's not it. Second um, Chronicles 32, 31 says, However, when the ambassadors arrived from Babylon to ask about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land, God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him to see what was really in his heart. So here's the thing. God starts to check our heart. And here's it interesting that God removes himself from Hezekiah. How many have felt that God's been a little absent in your life before? Anybody ever felt like he's not there, you talk, he's not present? I want to tell you that God, first of all, let me set the ground for like this. God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. But there are times when God will be quiet in your life. There are times when God won't speak. There are times where he might guide you and he might circumstantially put things, but he might be hidden in areas that you didn't know that he would be hidden in. And that's where we rely on the very presence of God. That's where we rely on the promises of God. And that's where we're assured in our faith and conviction that no, God told me that I'm a step in this and walk in faith. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, not the evidence of things seen. And that's the hard part with faith, isn't it? And when God starts to test our hearts, he starts to check our hearts. In other words, he might test us. He doesn't tempt us. Big difference between tempting. God never tempts anyone. But he will test us. In fact, another place in Scripture, the Bible says that he refines us, like throwing us back into the fire seven times to purify us, to get the old dross, the stuff, away from our lives. But he will check our hearts. How many have been through a test before? Going through a test right now. R.T. Kendall writes this, A severe trial makes sin surface in us that we had no idea was there. It's embarrassing. And as Job found out, he said in Job 40 verse 4, that he said, I put my hand over my mouth. God's disciplining will keep us in our place. He hides his face from us time to time. To keep us from developing an overfilling familiarity with Him. When He manifests His conscious presence over a period of time, I'm ashamed to admit that I find that I begin to unconsciously develop a feeling of entitlement. I get a bit of familiar with Him. I impute to my relationship in an intimacy that is not as strong as I wanted to think. God has a way of humbling us to keep us from taking ourselves so seriously. You know, how many times in our life do we kind of feel entitled with God? Well, God, come on. You know, and there's not that humble, contrite heart before the Lord. So God hides sometimes. And you know, when God starts to hide in our lives, we get kind of off our rocker, so to speak. We kind of get off our foundation. We kind of, life starts to get crazy, so to speak. And you know what's interesting when life starts to get crazy? You start to ask questions about yourself in life that you didn't ask before. Because you had assumptions before. You had you had solidified in your mind that this is how it's going to be. And then our world gets rocked and we realize, like Job said, and he's asking God all these questions, and God comes back to Job and he says to Job, Job, where were you when I formed the world? 
Mike played over and over again. All things work together for your good. I wish we'd just sing it another 36 times. But really, we kind of get to the place in fear where we go, God, are you really here? God, are you here? And you don't get the answer. And I want to tell you as sure as God is God and the Word of God is, that God is an ever-present help in time of trouble, but you might have to stand on a promise for your life right now. You might have to go through a testing. You might have to go through a trial. There might be a time where God removes himself. There might be a time where you don't get an answer. I've had a number of places in my life where, man, God, why didn't you provide an answer here? Didn't get the answer. (laughs) I'm God. I didn't want to get into you there. But we demand from God results in an area, don't we? We demand that he does something. When you're going through personal tests, we need to start looking at what's going on in our own heart. This is a good time. When you don't get the answers and things are going on and you're going through a trial and you're going through a test, you don't have to turn there, but Jeremiah 17.9 says this, the heart, let's talk about our heart for a moment, because we're really confident about ourselves, aren't we? We're a very confident society. We're very self-confident, and that's great. But then there's something where the Holy Spirit starts to check us and says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, and I examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So here's what God does in every believer's life, wherever you're at. Even if you've got all the life figured out, and you've got all of your doctrines, and you've got all of church figured out, and you've got the memorization, you, you line upon line, precept upon precept, you still have to go back to the place of saying in Jeremiah 17, God, is there any way in me that is not of you? Is there any sin? Is there anything going on in my life that is keeping me from the blessing of God for my life? Is there any unforgiveness? You don't have to raise your hand, but is anybody having a hard time forgiving someone right now? Is there any bitterness? Is there any resentment? Is there any jealousy? Is there any strife? And God examines those things. We can't glaze over them. We can't work around them. And so when God steps away like what he did with Hezekiah, and he steps away from Hezekiah for a moment, not because he doesn't love him, to see and to test him, to see what was in his life, to really look objectively in our life. What I challenge all of us to do today, when God starts to deal with our hearts, the things that we don't want to touch. How many got some things in your life that you didn't want to touch before? Where you say, you know what, I don't want to mess with that thing. I've dealt with that. I've delved into it before. And it wasn't fixed before. And you know what, we keep going back to that thing. And God keeps working in our hearts to test us and say, Try me, go after me, and see if I can't fix this. To really look objectively is to pray earnestly to the Lord like David prayed, Lord, search my heart. It's a big difference in praying as opposed to fix this problem and do this over here. It gets to the place where you go, God, as I stand before you today, search my heart this day right now and see if there is anything that is standing in my way with my relationship with you. Folks, we may become uncomfortable at times. David Birchhead writes this, Being uncomfortable in church is not the primary goal. 
He said, I'm not always comfortable in the dentist's office. I arrive in pain because I've neglected to do what I should have done. The staff always makes me feel welcome and then even cared for, and then the dentist confronts me with the truth. You have to let this, you've let this go a long time, and I must hurt you a little bit in order to heal you. I've been to the dentist table before and got hurt a little bit. You know, decay in the enamel of our soul must be addressed. There's a time where, you know what, the Bible says that really the Lord hurts us. We can go kind of fall on the table and we're broken. The Bible says we need to be broken. And guess where God breaks us and breaks things down in our life? When we come to the doctor's office and we say, Doctor, fix this. Doctor, I have these problems in my life. I have these issues in my life. I have have unresolved anger. I have unresolved tension. I've got bitterness. I need to fix these issues going on in my life. And he says, you know what? It's going to hurt a little bit, but it will heal you. Turn to someone and we're going to say, God's going to heal you. If you don't, then something will start to take place in your life. And you will start to get calloused. And your heart will start to grow cold. And you will no longer be able to identify those things, even in your own heart, that are going on. You'll start to develop what's called a seared conscience. You know, you start to do things because they're right in your own eyes. The Bible says even in the last days that men will start to do what's right in their own eyes. They won't even kind of object to behaviors and situations going on. They won't go after the things of God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. (coughs) Paul had to address the church in Ephesus. And they didn't have it all put together. We talk about the New Testament church. It was some of the most sloppy church we've ever seen in the world. And there was a lot that had to get fixed. They loved God, but there was a lot that had to get fixed. Ephesians 4, 17 says this, With the Lord's authority I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and they have hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. He said, don't live like the Gentiles. So there's not kind of a middle road in our life of what we're supposed to do. If we don't adjust our lives and live according to the Spirit of Christ, He's basically guaranteeing that you will harden your heart. And you will start to live a callous, cold life, and you'll go a completely different direction. I love what He says there. He says, you put this on. Put this on in your life. And for our hearts today, if we don't want to grow hard, and I believe there's some putting on that we're going to have to start doing Verse 18 says they are darkened in their understanding and separated from life with God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of our hearts. I pray today that a restlessness comes over our churches once again, that we look objectively at where we're at right now. How many have blamed the other person for the problems in your life? You have to raise your hand. We like to blame people. We like to blame the problems of life on what all the Gentiles are doing. And all the heathens are doing. But you just pass better laws, we'll have a better country. Folks, I want to tell you today that where you're at in your life, 
and the journey that Christ has for you, it's going to have to come to a point where the church grows objectively where we're at. And I pray that a restlessness comes over us, that we may start to live by the greatest command. You know, it was neat because the experts in the law, they tried testing Jesus. Go back to Matthew chapter 22. We're having Bible B today. Matthew 22, starting with verse 37. An expert in the law came to Jesus and was wanting to get him in the corner. See if they can stick him again. Actually, verse 34, we'll start there of chapter 22 of Matthew. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply... They met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with his question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? That's an important one, right? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. He doesn't stop there, though. Everyone goes, I love God, right? He said, the second is as equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And this is where I start to get stuck. Anybody ever get stuck with people in your life? (laughs) I mean, I love God. I love church. I love God so great. We can sing and have happy. He wants to bless your life. And then God all of a sudden put people in your life that you don't like. He put problems which come with people. You know, they had that old saying where you're like, man, I'm looking for the perfect church. Well, if you go to that perfect church and that church is a perfect church, don't go there because you're going to mess the whole thing up. You're going to mess the perfect church up. There is no perfect church. But this expert identifies because you remember the rich young ruler that comes to him and he starts to identify what commands I could do. And this is what church does and this is what the law does as opposed to experiencing Christ in our heart and living to the fullness. We start to identify who I am and where do I place in the kingdom of God and what can I do better. And he says this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. And then he says, and... Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. David Burchett writes this, The Pharisees were getting pretty puffed up. We are sure to do, but Jesus wasn't done. The second commandment the Lord said is to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. David Burchett goes on to write, That first one, and that's a very measurable one, the Pharisees knew they fell short. You can't fake what you do with your time and resources and how you treat those around you. See, that second one of the people loving them as much as you love yourself, that's a measurable one. See, the Pharisees couldn't hide how they were treating the people around them. 
Jesus says to them, you place rules on the people that you yourselves can't even bear up yourself. You do things, remember the good Samaritan that went along with it, and they, they, the leader of the law walks by the priest, and they said, don't I have time for this? And the good Samaritan shows us that you can heal and restore and bless people. It was an amazing thing, but you cannot fake today, dear loved one, what you do with your time and your resources and how you treat those around you. Can't fake it. This one verse of scripture could solve all the racist issues going on in America today. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Amen? All men are created equal. But you can't fake what you do with your time. You can't fake that. And we can say that we love God. And we can say, I'll do anything for you. But when God calls it out of us, and when God wants us to start doing some self-sacrifice, and when he says, I want you to extend forgiveness, and when he says this, go serve that person, I know they took advantage of you, but bless them anyways. That's a tough thing to do. You can't fake what you do with your time and resources and how you treat those around us. Number two, God sees our hearts as we don't see it. We're going to end well here. We know that in our hearts there's dark things that God's working through and trying to clean up. And then comes the wholeness factor. God sees our hearts even as we don't see it. You know what's amazing when God chose David in that first Samuel? Do you know he saw David not as the, just the Goliath conquering David? He doesn't just see cute sheep David that's going through there and the bear that he attacks and the lion. He doesn't see the faithful David even on the field. He sees all of that, but you know what else he sees? He sees David committing adultery. He sees David murdering, having Uriah murdered so that he can take Bathsheba. When Samuel is pouring that oil over David, God sees everything in that moment. His past, his present, and his future. And yet God declares this about David, that he is a man after God's own heart. Wait a minute, we got this all wrong, don't we? God, you, you picked that guy? You're using that person? Turn to someone and say, I don't have it all together. <laughs> God's picking you and me. With all the problems, with all the setbacks, and with all the pain, He picks me? Absolutely. Because God sees in you the glory of God. When you come to Christ, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. You become righteous. You become Holy, you become the person that God intended you to be. He declares this David to become king, even in spite of knowing in the future that David will mess some stuff up. Some of us have said this, haven't we, in our Christian faith? You don't know me, and you don't know what I've done. I've heard that over and over again. I'll be counseling people and talking to people, and it's the hardest thing for people to grab on to this grace concept that God loves me for who I am and in spite of all the things that he still wants to use me in very powerful ways. I love the verse of scripture that says this, whomever sins much, loves much. Now I'm not inviting you to go sin a bunch more today. 
What I'm telling you is if you're here today in this place and you've sinned a bunch, which we all have, that God still has a plan for you and wants to do great things because He sees things in your heart that you don't even think about yourself. How many of us have had a really poor self-image in our life before? <coughs> it's hard to get over it. And it doesn't take a lot. It could just take the one setback. It could take the one pain. I want you to say this clearly and loudly today. I'm going to say it first, and then we're all going to say it together. Thank you, God, for accepting me. Pretty good today. We're going to do a little thing. We're going to talk about this God acceptance of who he is. Are you ready? On the count of three, we're going to say it. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you, God, for accepting me. Wow. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Can you see past the sin in your life? Can you see past it? I've said the verse of Scripture over and over again. That God has great mighty things in store for us that we don't even know about yet. The reality is that comes to a place in our life where we understand that God has beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things that He has expressed in our heart and our life. God isn't finished with you. In fact, turn to someone and say, God's not finished with me yet. Max Lucado wrote this beautiful story about God being kind to us. Because God is kind to us. No, He is kind to you, and why don't you be kind to yourself? He forgives your faults. Why don't you do the same? He thinks tomorrow is worth living. Why don't you agree? He believes in you enough to call you as ambassador, as follower, even as child. Why not take His cue and believe in yourself? Max Lucado goes on to write in a book entitled Sweet Thursday. John Steinbeck introduces us to Madame Fauna. She runs a brothel and takes a liking to a prostitute by the name of Susie. Madame Fauna sets Susie up on a real date with a man, not a client. She buys Susie a nice dress and helps her get ready for the evening. And as Susie is leaving, she's moved by Madame Fauna's kindness and asks her, You have done so much for me, can I do anything for you? Yes, the older woman replies, you can say, I am Susie and no one else. And Susie does. And then Madame Fauna requests, now say, I am Susie and I'm a good thing. And Susie tries. I am Susie and I'm a good thing. And Susie begins to cry. Wouldn't God want you to say the same words? In his book, you are a good thing. Be kind to yourself. God thinks you're worth his kindness. And he is a good judge of character. That woman couldn't even say of herself that she was a good thing because she was under all the mire of sin. Remember the woman caught in adultery? One of the most beautiful stories of grace and release and freedom. Society had put on her who she was and created a label for her and says, you're this type of person. And when all of those accusers drop their rocks, and us Christians love to throw rocks, we're good rock throwers, aren't we? We have a venomous hatred towards people. We love to get people, and we love to stick people for where they deserve it, don't we? And yet, when all those rocks fell to the ground, he asked her one thing. He said, where are all your accusers? And he said, I don't condemn you today. Now go and sin no more. She left in a freedom for her life. 
that she never felt because God had accepted her that he didn't condemn her. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If even one person leaves this place today understanding that God accepts me and that God loves me, it's a beautiful thing and that God is kind to me. If there's one thing that we could present to this dying world right now today, this confused world, this world filled with hatred and venom, we can say that God is love. If you're talking to someone, if there's one thing that people are on in the journey of life, they try to find love. They try to find acceptance. And everything we do, we're trying to find love. Let's turn real quick to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. You are a good thing today. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were made in the image of God. I love Romans 5, 8. It says, all this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. God cares about you folks today more than you care about yourself. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That God cares about all of our problems. He cares about all of our setbacks. But He sees things in your heart right now that you don't even want to believe or, or see. That when he speaks in your life, that he has great and mighty things that he wants to show for you. Mike, if you wanted to come up here and start playing. I want us to close our eyes for a moment. I want to identify two things, and maybe today we've been avoiding things in our life. And maybe we're doing our religious duty. And maybe on the outside of our life it's clean and it's nice, but on the inside there's turmoil. And maybe on the inside today there's stuff going on in our hearts that have not been cleared up with the Lord, that they've not been given to the Lord. And we start really simply with the call to be a Christian. And that word is so splattered around, we don't even know what Christian means anymore. But you're called today to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior. And today, God is calling you out and says, I want to make you a new creature created in Christ Jesus and me. I want to give you life. And today, you don't know that life. And you've been avoiding a lot of things. And God wants to give that to you, that new life. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, you know what, I want to come to Jesus today, right now. Maybe I've been avoiding this moment, or I've been, it's been convoluted and covered up by all the things going on in the outside of my life, and I've just kind of avoided it altogether. You say, I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. I want to make Him the King of my heart. Today, if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, man, I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today. Why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Why don't we all pray this together right now? Dear Jesus, 
I thank you for coming into my life. For giving me new life. All the old junk. The sin. The stuff I've held on to. The things that I've covered up. I give to you. I ask you into my heart this day. And I thank you, God, that all the old stuff is passing away. Behold, my life is new because of you. Thank you for your love over my life. Thank you that you accept me, Lord. I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, maybe you right now are going through some things in your life, condemnation and guilt. And it's hard for you to see what God is saying. It's hard for you to even accept the fact that not only that you're born again today, that you have heaven, and that's great, but that on this life, on planet Earth, that God wants to use you even in spite of you. And yes, He's seen the problems. And He's seen what you've rehearsed in your own head of the past. And your own condemnation of yourself. And you basically have locked yourself in the jail. And you've thrown the keys away. And you said, I will always be this and I will always be defined by this because of dot, dot, dot. And I ask you to objectively look at your own life and see if you have run through the jail and you've allowed the Spirit of Christ to break into that mode and make you a new person and transform you out of the old ways so that you can put on the new person like Paul tells us to do. So that you don't have to be like the Gentiles. So that you don't have to be like a heathen. You don't have to act like a heathen. You don't have to think like a heathen. Don't buy those lies that you'll never overcome. God sees something in you just as He had saw in David. God even sees in spite of the future problems that you will have a victorious champion. Today God wants to anoint you and separate you for His service. And today will you choose to put that on? Today, loved one, if you're there, right there, right now, and you've pretty much locked yourself in the jail, you've made yourself not worthy. And God says, I've made you worthy. Today I want you just to lift your hand and say, that's me and I need some freedom so that I can start to see myself the way God sees me right now today. If that's you, why don't you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God sees you how you don't even see yourself today. Why don't we all pray this prayer together? Dear Jesus, I thank you that I have freedom today and that I have victory even in this thing, in this moment. And God, 
I will accept me in your presence because you called me good. You created in me a new heart. And you're anointing me for service. And you've got a call on my life. I thank you, God, that you love me. And I am free today. I put on you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I love you a bunch. And I want you to live in that freedom. I want us to live in that freedom. And for those of you who prayed that prayer today, you're going to have to start saying some things differently about your life and about yourself and about your circumstances. You're going to have to put on what Christ has given to you in that victory so that you can have that joy that God wants you to have, so that you can be all that God calls you to be. God bless you really good. Mike, thank you for playing this morning. Sandra and Rod are down in Florida. Next week, we've got Baptism Sunday, and and I'm going to be meeting briefly with those after church, but if there are those of you who might want to pray real quick before you head out of here, uh, maybe there's something specifically we just want to pray and stand stand together for. I'd love to pray with you before I leave or before I head back with them. Uh, but we're going to have an awesome week. Next week, is, is Baptism Sunday is always so special. It's so neat. And, uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes, chairs. Don't you definitely don't leave. After, yeah, you get prayer and you get chairs. No, I'm kidding. But uh, absolutely after church. So, But uh, we love you guys a bunch and have an awesome, awesome week. And Cindy, it was great having those you and those grandkids today. We love you so much. Amen. 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 Let's pray before we head out of here. Father, we thank you for today for the how refreshing it is, the music and the ministry of the Word. And Lord, we just ask God for just that you go before us this week and that whatever battles we face this week, you've already figured them out. And you already have victory for us. We thank you for that, God. We want to stand upon your word and the light that you give it to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.